say something. Hello. Adventure. Love. Connection. Risk. Passion. Evolution. Play. Life. The Archetypal Tarot Podcast. Provocative mythology for the 21st century. We have a meeting of the stones and the bones this episode, and we dive deep into a discussion of the death card. Sundara interviews Lupa Greenwolf, artist and author of the natural history-themed book and tarot deck, The Tarot of Bones. This deck won't be out until next year, but you should definitely check out her website, thetarotofbones.com. We are now on Twitter and Facebook, so connect with us there and let us know about your ideas for future shows, questions, suggestions, people you want to hear us interview. Let us know. And here's Sundara's discussion about the death card with Lupa Greenwald. Hello and welcome to the Archetypal Tarot Podcast. This is Sundara Quackenbush, and in the continuation of our brave new series of podcasts, we are discussing the death card today. And helping to guide us with our dance of death, we have author and artist Lupa joining us. Welcome, Lupa. Good morning. How are you? Oh, doing really good. Thanks for connecting with us this morning. Thanks for having me. Tell us also a little bit about your name. So uh looks like you you go by Purely Lupa. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Um Ever since I was really, 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 really tiny, I was absolutely obsessed with wolves, and uh, it, it, it kind of stuck, and as I got older and became aware of various sorts of nature-based spirituality, the long and the short of it is that gray wolf is one of my uh, primary totems. When I chose to rename myself, as a lot of people do, uh, it was pretty appropriate to go with that. And um, having taken Latin in high school and also having grown up Catholic with, you know, Latin masses and so forth, Latin was a a language that was very near and dear to me. And so I went with Lupa. Oh, excellent. You're you're like the Madonna or the Cher of uh, the pagan world here. We're just calling you Oh, well, I love it. Um, uh, you're inspiring me. Maybe one of these days I'll just cut off the quack and bush and just go by Sundara. It's uh, unique enough to stand by its own, probably. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. I've seen some of your artwork online and, and some mm-hmm. of the things that are actually wearable, and, and but in a very meaningful way. Uh, I've seen, like, your, uh, I think it's like a wolf skin uh, mm-hmm. that can actually be used for ceremonial purposes. Yeah, um, I've been making hide and bone art for the better part of 20 years. Uh, it's a big part of my spiritual path. Uh, you can almost think of it as um, a sort of funerary art, uh, trying to give these remains a better afterlife than being someone's fashion statement or a trophy on a wall. And one of the early creations I made for myself was a wolf hide that I had. I turned it into a wearable skin, basically, that uh, I used to do, I I still do occasionally, but I used to do more dancing at festivals and so forth, and I would wear the skin basically as my own, and uh, connecting both to the spirit of the skin and to the overarching wolf totem in that process. And so most of my artwork is meant to have either some practical or other devotional function Rather than again, than rather than just being something uh, pretty to hang on a wall. 
Absolutely. That seems very important. And and tell us a little bit about that process uh, that you engage with when, when, while you're doing your art. So you've got like all these kinds of different bones and skins and talons and teeth. Uh, what is it like on an, on the internal landscape level to work with these things and, and how do they speak with you? Um, well, that's a good question. What happens is, let's say I have a, uh, let's say I have a coyote skull, and maybe it's something that I saw when I was out walking. Maybe I got it from another artist. Uh, but I have this skull; it's in decent condition, and uh, I feel like making something artistic with it. So what I'll do is I'll sit down with it, and we'll basically have a conversation. Now, whether this conversation is entirely in my head and is just my way of parsing out my artistic inspiration, or whether there's an actual spirit involved, I don't particularly invest myself one way or the other. What I know is that it works, and it's an integral part of that creative process. But I'll talk to the coyote spirit or the coyote skull about you know, what it was like being a coyote, what it's still like being a coyote, and maybe what sort of uh, what sort of project that skull would like to be incorporated into? You know, does it want to be something that's hanging on a wall that gets to have a good view of everything going on around it? Would it rather be more active, for example, being made into a rattle or other uh, ritual implement? So we have that conversation, and by the end of it, I've got a pretty good idea of what this skull is going to be. Does that make sense? Mhm. Yes, absolutely. And so you you go with what's uh what you're feeling and and um you're not too superstitious about you know or it doesn't really matter in the end whether this is the literal spirit or not but that that you're feeling it on this deep level and going with it. Mhm. It's it's a framework that works for me. Mm-hmm. And when I tell other people about this and show them how to do it, I I don't I don't tell them how to interpret it. Like I said, some people do see it as a purely psychological thing. Some people do attribute some literal spirit existence to it. And I'm, again, I'm pretty ambivalent as to what the actual cause is. I just know that it works for me. Mm -hmm. Oh, excellent. And so you have uh, photographed and turned uh, a lot of your artwork and are making new pieces uh, for your very own tarot deck, the major and minor arcana complete deck um, Mm -hmm. called the Tarot of Bones. Um, Mm -hmm. And you're in process with it right now. And uh, boy, just just knowing from this podcast alone um, how we've decided to revisit the major arcana and not even tackle the minor arcana, um, Mm -hmm. all these suits and numbers, uh, how is it that you have... Uh, worked with the tarot and with your your artwork with the bones. How how are they communicating with each other and influencing each other? And and how have you uh, managed with that minor arcana? Um, actually, it's it's a very I don't want to say a simple process because that's well oversimplifying it. But the beautiful thing about the tarot is that. You know, even among the even among the minor arcana, you have certain archetypes and certain images that come through those cards. Mm-hmm. And 
a big part of divination for me is just pattern pattern recognition and meaning making. It's taking what's in front of me at the time and basically creating an art project out of it, stitching the various things together into a cohesive story of what's going on. Uh, for years, I've done readings with uh, the Ted Andrews Animal Wise deck. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't do it as a traditional uh, tarot spread. You know, I don't do like a Celtic cross. It's much more of a an elemental directional spread that the deck and I put together years and years ago when I first got the deck. Mm-hmm. And while I do have something of a nod towards some of the traditional tarot symbolism, uh, for the most part, it's looking at the basically what the various animals on those cards are telling me about the person that I'm reading for. And so I've gotten very good at speaking with the the, the archetypal totems of various species of animal and other living being. And so that conversation's been going on for years and years and years. Yeah. And then with the tarot, what I've been doing with the tarot of bones is as I do each card... Um, it's been a while since I've read tarot itself. I, I did when I was when I was younger, and I'm still familiar with the with the symbolism and, and so forth. So it's it's more a refresher than anything. So what I would do with each card is I would sort of brush up on its symbolism, and then I would do some meditation and see which animal would come up as sort of a volunteer to represent that particular card. Mm. And we'd have that conversation and decide, okay, is this feasible? Because not only is it what animal represents this card, but also what animal can I reasonably and legally acquire a skull or other bones for? Mm Mm-hmm. And so there's certain artistic limitations, materials limitations that I have to keep in mind, as opposed to if I were doing, for example, a a deck based in paintings. Does that make sense? Yes, absolutely. And um, and so when you talk about the uh, accessing the legal uh, legally the, this particular animal, you do go mm-hmm. by a very um, strong personal code of um, finding animals. That are they're in vintage form, or uh, they were kind of already taxidermied, or what mm-hmm. is your philosophy around that? Um, well, I tend to be a secondhand first kind of person, mm-hmm. so my generally my favorite sources for uh, you know my hides and bones in general are going to be secondhand, like old taxidermy and old fur coats and. You know, things I get from people who've collected items for years and then are selling off their collection. Mm -hmm. Um, That isn't always possible with some of these things. Yeah. Uh, For example, um, one of the the, the pieces I'm working on right now is uh, I'm working on the hermit. And for the hermit, I'm using a female black cast uh, hornbill skull. And it's not, of course, it's not a bird that's native to the U.S. And there's uh, legal trade from uh, Africa where it's uh, where it's native to. 
but there's only a couple of people who can legally get them into the country. And so I work with I work with one in particular who I know is very careful about his sources, doesn't support poaching, mm-hmm. etc. And I'm able to get that particular piece to work to that particular skull to work with that particular piece. And um, and so animals themselves become uh, it's a, it's so cool how in the animal kingdom itself the each animal has its own archetype or or mm-hmm. uh, approach to the archetypes um, and so I'm very very interested in that. Can you talk a little bit about animals as as archetypes and how we can work with them? Yeah, um, it's more. It's not so much that they have archetypes. Animals are animals are themselves. They they have their own solutions for dealing with the same problems that we do. You know, we need food, we need water, we need shelter, et cetera, et cetera. When we talk about the archetypes of animals, when we talk about the totemic meanings of animals, that's us projecting our own biases onto that particular species. Mm-hmm. For example, the hornbill that I just mentioned um, the reason I chose it for the hermit is because female hornbills, when they're nesting, uh, the, the the pair will find a tree that has a hollow in it, you know, high up on the tree. The female will go into there and she will wall up the inside of the uh, the, the opening to the hollow with mud so that there's only a tiny little opening left. And that's just enough for the male to bring her food and for her to, you know, get rid of waste and so forth. And in that period of weeks where she is isolated in that space, she is basically taking whatever she can draw from the outside world in the form of food and water and so forth, and she's turning it into eggs that then turn into the next generation of bird. Mm. And that reminded me very much of the hermit who isolates himself from the rest of the world and meditates upon that and seeks wisdom in that isolation. And that's something that we can then bring back into our everyday life uh, to better ourselves and to better the world around us. So, you know, the hornbill couldn't you know, the actual hornbill couldn't care less whether I think of her as a hermit or not. But to me, when I'm putting together the symbolism for this deck and when I'm doing meditation on the, on what the hermit means to me as an archetype, that particular symbol resonates with me very deeply. Mm, and, and how wonderful to just see it occurring in nature, um, something observable, something... Uh, to connect to. It's very, very powerful. Uh, We'll have Mm -hmm. to invite the hornbill back when we uh, do the hermit card. (laughs) Absolutely. Um, And so, and you use particular um, themes or bones or different parts of bones as a theme for the minor arcana. Is that correct? Mm -hmm. For the majors, I'm using entire skulls. Some of them are original bone some of them for species that I can't legally get or that I don't feel can be sustainably uh, given, I uh, use replicas. So the majors have 
you know, particular species associated with them. The miners for the suits have particular types of bone. So the wands are long bones, the so leg bones for the most part, because they're very energetic, they're very active, they're very directive. Yeah, the legs are what, are what you get the critter what's going. Mm -hmm. Hmm? Those are the bones you take action with, um, like yes. the wands. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Your, uh, your cups, I use ribs because they have that cupping shape, they, they hold, they contain, they contain the most vulnerable parts of the animal's body to include the heart. And so you have that emotional element of the cups and as well as the shape of the ribs and that made a wonderful parallel. For the swords, I chose teeth and jaws. And that of course is the slicing, dicing, decisive, uh, action of your swords, um, sometimes to the point of drawing blood, not always. Teeth can also be very tender and gentle if they need to be, but they get the job done. Mm -hmm. And then for your, your, your pentacles, I chose the vertebrae because the backbone is the center point on which the rest of the animal is hung. And without a backbone, without some way of supporting yourself, whether that's financial or otherwise, the whole everything else falls apart. So that was my reason for using those different types of bone for the miners. I I just love that uh what you figured out there and the, the archetypal significance that, that can be in our bones and uh if we you know, I'm very interested in the work of James Hillman. I don't know if you've read much of him, but uh mm -hmm. if if you get um some sort of illness or ache, you you then become aware that you have that part of the body. And it's interesting to ask, um, or not only to question, you know, why do I have this ache in this part of my body, but, um, you know, why is it here? Or where where is the ache? And, uh, and it's very interesting to interpret the bones or parts mm -hmm. of the body in maybe through this archetypal context of hmm, maybe I, if my, uh, something more structural is happening. Am I being supported in my life? Mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. Or uh, if it's the ribs, you know, how, w what's happening in the, that, that realm of the cups or the holding of emotions or the heart. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, I, I could see that being a, 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 an interesting added level to your work with the tarot of bones, which is to co connect us not only to animals, but to our own structures and to our own mm -hmm. animal basis that's very that's very very interesting and um and so on the subject of the death card uh so people that are new to tarot or uh or maybe that are superstitious about the tarot the death card is kind of ooh, the death card oh i'm afraid to get the death card now mm -hmm. with your deck we we have bones and there's no escaping the bones um mm -hmm. and so working with the reality of you know that this was once a living animal and is no longer mm -hmm. um, what is your take on uh embracing death in the tarot and uh, maybe you have a particular choice too for your death card um so I'm very curious mm -hmm. about your philosophy with that around your your tarot deck well, I mean there's no denying that death is a big part of my life uh 
you know, again, part of why I do what I do at these remains is funerary art. You know, I'm very aware of my sources. I'm very aware of the realities of where many of these skulls come from. Even secondhand, a lot of them did come from animals that were hunted or animals that were trapped or ones that died in captivity. So I make myself very aware of their origins so I'm not just seeing them as, uh, you know, oh, this is a cool-looking thing that I'm going to put up in my living room because it looks awesome. Mm -hmm. It's also, again, why I'm exceptionally picky about my sourcing and why I'm exceptionally careful about my legalities. I actually maintain a database of animal parts-related laws on my website so that others can do their research, too. I don't want to spread death unnecessarily because it's a big, it's a big deal. Mm -hmm. At the same time, I also don't just go out and kill animals for the purpose of my art. What I work with was already dead. And so again, I'm reclaiming those remains so that they don't go to waste. Mm -hmm. And so it's a big responsibility to me to be a holder both of that archetype, but also of the literal depths of these beings and, and being witness to that. At the same time, like you said, with, with the death card, people often get freaked out because, oh my gosh, it's a death card. This is terrible. And yes, it can be really difficult when something comes to an end in your life, especially if it's something that you really liked. Maybe it's the death of a relationship. Maybe it's the death of a good job. Maybe it's the death of your, your health. You know, it, there's that abrupt, either abrupt or, you know, you've seen it coming, but, you know, there's an ending nonetheless. Mm -hmm. uh, and you have to be able to deal with that transition. The thing that a lot of people forget is that there's something on the other side of that transition. So with my artwork, I, I, I can't bring these animals back to life, literally, but I can give the remains something better, again, than, than just being some trophy on someone's wall. Mm -hmm. And so that's why I do create things that are meant to be honored. It's why everything gets a full ritual purification. And it's why I, I, I ask, a, I do a prayer over everything that goes to someone who's going to respect it for what it is. Because I want that continuation to, if not make up for the loss of life, then at least honor the life that was. Mm -hmm. And so for my, for my death card in the Tarot of Bones, I chose a rattlesnake as the, uh, as the skull for that. And the reason is very deliberate. One, because a lot of us are terrified of snakes. And a lot of us are terrified of death. And there's a big, strong parallel mm -hmm. in that fear. But a rattlesnake is, a, is, a, is as much a part of nature as we are. And death is just a part, is, as much a part of the life cycle as, as life itself is, as birth. And there's the additional symbolism of the shedding of skin. Uh, it's something that I also covered in my magician card, which uh, used corn snake as a uh, symbol. Both of these deal with a form of renewal and change. For the death card, 
it's a it's a much scarier process sometimes, and it, it may ask more of us than the uh, the wisdom of the magician. But there's still something to be learned, and we may come out much the better um, once we've processed that period of death and rebirth. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And and I I like how you can with bones just meditate on that stage of of the death of the bones of the barest earthiest part of the animal many many people particularly in the i think in some of these spiritual traditions and new age uh, groups will want to jump to the rebirth uh mm-hmm. very quickly and i think that there's something really important about sticking to the bones for a while mm-hmm. and and to you know and if we are using the tarot as something to help us sort of like a ritual to face something that's ending in our life like my uh for instance my mother recently had a me do a reading for her and she got the death card for um as part of her reading um she was asking whether or not she should move and mm-hmm. we ended up interpreting the death card as that the the life that she had been living in her current state of residence had died. She felt just death in this very small wine country town where she couldn't mm-hmm. find any anyone to connect to. So she felt, yes, ap- absolutely, this time that I'm experiencing here in this town is, is just dead, and it's no mm-hmm. longer, and I can't live here anymore. I can't embrace life here any longer. And so mm-hmm. that realization and that, meditation on what needs to be let go of and maybe even mourned, you know, or mourned, you know, it's a, a, a beautiful house and uh, mm-hmm. there was a certain life that was lived there. There are memories there. There's all kinds of things that is you there that need to be processed and, and mm-hmm. um, commended for what they were and what they served. And you spend mm-hmm. some time with that. Um, and with funerary art, at like what you work with, it, a person can embrace that and um and but then i i i think i've seen in some of your artwork that beautiful other maybe flowers or other natural materials are beginning to be woven in with the bones and mm-hmm. so you see this you the, the presence of rebirth is is coming in at uh, at various mm-hmm. points and so uh that that seems very special yeah and that's a really that's a really important part. I, I, I like what you said about needing to sit with the bones for a while. We are not comfortable with death in American culture. Mm-hmm. We're, we, we want to avoid it as much as possible. We have this sort of cult of youth where we want to look as young as possible. We want to pretend that death doesn't happen, that aging doesn't happen. You know, we want to believe that we're going to live forever, even though we know otherwise. We don't have a good structure for dealing with that fear. Part of why I do what I do is a reminder of my own mortality and that someday I'm going to be just like the, the skulls that are sitting on my shelf here. There's, mm. you know, there's a skull inside my head and someday it's going to be just like one of those. Mm. Mm-hmm. But it's really, it's inspiring to me also to make the most of, of this life that I do have. I have no guarantee that there's anything after death other than my body being recycled into components to go into other beings, which I wouldn't be aware of. Mm-hmm. Maybe there's an afterlife, but again, that's one of those things that I don't spend a lot of time worrying about. 
because I'm very invested in the now. Being so close to death has inspired me to be more responsible for life, both my own and others. To that end, I've been making this art since 1998, and pretty much from the beginning, since I started selling it, I uh, have put a portion of the money I've made from all of my art sales and all of my book sales, and also will go from some of the Terra Bone sales when it's out. I take some of that money and I give it to nonprofit organizations that benefit wildlife and their habitats. Mm, because, you know, I'm not, I don't want to see everything get destroyed. I appreciate these amazing ecosystems that I have the privilege to be able to visit when I go hiking or camping or even when I'm walking around in my own neighborhood. And I value that. I value the life every bit as much as I value the death. I I value the entire cycle thereof, and I want to preserve that. So there's a time to sit with the bones, and there's a time for the birthing of new ones. So a big element of death that we're having to face as a culture and as a world is this threat to the environment, to natural habitats, to many species that are going uh, extinct as we speak. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, and um, it's wonderful that the, the um, some monetary funds from, from various projects can be going towards organizations that are fighting these battles and, and helping in these areas. Mm-hmm. Uh, but speaking on the level of uh, what people can do on a spiritual level and with the tarot cards, how, how is it that uh, coming into contact with images of bones or with animals or with other natural resources uh, pictured in the cards, how can this help with uh, nature connection um, and with environmentalism as a whole? Well, the most tarot decks are very, very anthropocentric. They're very much about humans. When you look at your 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 Ryder Waite Smith deck, almost every card has human beings in it. There are only a few that have non-human animals, and most of those there's there's still a human in it. The, the tarot, most of them tend to be very much about, you know, me, 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 human, 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 what's the human experience, et cetera, et cetera. And that's all well and good. It's, it's, it's not surprising that we can be very self-centered. It's normal for an animal to be invested in its own interests. At the same time, we are quite possibly unique in our awareness of our place in greater ecosystems. Uh, The problem is that we have convinced ourselves that we are separate from nature. Either we think that we're better than the rest of nature because, you know, we're really good at tool using, or we consider ourselves as having fallen from nature. We see ourselves as being too destructive and impure and too artificial, and we can't rejoin that, that cycle. Part of my goal with the Tarot of Bones is to invite people back into nature, retaking our places as the, the, the human ape, as, as Homo sapiens sapiens. And because I am 
you know, my, my best artistic skills are in this assemblage with natural materials, that's the medium that I'm using. If I had spent the last 20 years doing oil painting, that's probably what I would have done. But I've spent the last 20 years working with hides and bones and moss and stones and other natural materials. And so that's how I'm voicing this particular reconnection. So when I'm, I'm also writing a companion book to go with the deck, and it explains my inspiration for each of the cards and the deck as a whole. And one of the themes is reconnecting with the rest of our natural family, not just the human family, but everything else. Because we share DNA with all of it, every living being. So uh, tell us a, a little bit about, uh, I'm so excited, by the way, about the Tarot Bones and when it's coming out. Can you, uh, and I'm sure our audience is too, could you tell us a, a bit about uh, where to find it, when to expect it, uh, and how you're bringing it to us? Yeah, um, I'm, so I'm self-publishing the deck. Uh, I have had books published with other publishers, uh, including Emanion Press and uh, Llewellyn Publications. I chose to self-publish this project mainly because it's a very, very personal project. It's something that not only is it bringing to bear almost two decades of art and writing experience, but it's also a very deeply personal project in that it speaks to a lot of very deeply held feelings and convictions and messages that I want to spread. And so rather than trying to compromise with, you know, another entity such as a publisher as to what's, what it's supposed to look like and what it's supposed to say and so forth, I decided I'd just take this one for myself. So having had a good deal of experience not only in the publishing industry, but also uh, as an event organizer and having been fully self-employed for the last several years, I you know, went into this knowing full well that it was going to be a big, expensive, complicated project and I was going to have to do most of the work myself. So to that end, I set up a production schedule for myself. I started on the assemblage pieces at the beginning of the year, and of course there's 78 of them. And in order to stay on track for getting all the assemblages done, by the end of 2015, I basically have to do six and a half uh, per month. And so far, I've managed to stay up on that. I may actually try and get a little bit ahead. Then uh, the goal is to have the photography for the cards and have the book edited and so forth and have the deck out and the deck and book out in the summer of 2016. Uh, as far as its availability, it will be available, of course, online in several places. I will make both wholesale and consignment uh, opportunities available for shops that are interested in carrying uh, the Tarot of Bones. And the nice thing about it is that most of my work can't be sent outside of the United States. There are very strict regulations on the import and export of wildlife parts. And again, I'm very, very strict about my adherence to that. So I haven't been able to send most of my artwork to, for example, I have a bunch of people in Canada who like my stuff, I have people in the UK who like my stuff, and in other places. The nice thing about the Terror of Bones is that since it's just going to be paper, I can send it worldwide. So oh, yeah, hopefully 
I will be able to make this something of a global phenomenon. Yeah, I can certainly relate uh, working with stones and, and photographing the stones for tarot. Um, boy, to carry stones anywhere is really, really heavy and difficult. <laughs> and mm-hmm. then, of course, they're rare and fragile. So I, I definitely had a similar experience with um, being so happy to have them in, actually in terror form because then you have the potency of that imagery to work with the imagination, but um, with so less, uh, so much less of the logistical um, and for, in your case, legal strain. But if we follow the roots all the way back to use of bones with divination, that follows even before the tarot, that, that follows humankind way, way, way back. Um, mm-hmm. And so I'm curious, uh, I have a two-sided question, which is, uh, what do you know about the use of bones for divination in the past in human history? And how how is it that, um, and how does this contrast or compare to how someone today might be using your deck of cards? Well, um, humans have used bones for thousands of years. can pretty reliably speak toward recorded history. Once we get beyond that, you know, we don't know, for example, if the people who were doing the uh, European cave paintings tens of thousands of years ago were also doing bone divination or not. But the two most common forms of, of bone divination that we know of uh, one involves basically casting bones, you know, throwing them either onto a cloth or a hide or some other surface and seeing what they look like when they fall. You know, do they fall in a particular pattern? Do they form a picture? How are they in relation to each other? Does each bone have a meaning? Is a bone inscribed with uh, individual things like, you know, a set of dice? That's one form that people have used. The other form is something called scapulomancy. And that's that's a more restricted practice, but what you do is you take the shoulder blade of an animal, uh, for example, a sheep, and you put it into a fire, and after a while, the bone cracks because of the heat. And then you interpret the patterns of the cracks to figure out what's, you know, what's what's coming up, what's in the future. So as far as how that works into the Tarot of Bones, it is drawing on the symbolism of bones, but more from, again, a sort of symbolic archetypal level. So rather than casting bones and seeing, you know, does this one land on its side, et cetera, um, you're, you're taking pictures of bones and laying them out. And the bones have fairly specific meanings, but there's plenty of room for interpretation. Mm-hmm. So um, there is that element of the bone casting, but in a much more uh, portable fashion. Uh, well, that is going to be a very, very enticing and interesting way to work with Tara. I can't wait to see when your deck comes out. Also very personally interested because I've got the uh, Story True Stone deck I've been working on. and. uh mm-hmm. And uh, when I met with uh, Maladoma Somme, the Nagara uh, mm-hmm. tribe elder, uh, mm-hmm. a few years ago now, um, he had said how important it was for stones and bones to come together to uh, wake up ancestral memories and um, memories for your own purpose. Um, so uh, I'm curious, uh, in working with the, the bones, 
how do you connect with maybe your ancestry or with your sense of purpose in this work? Well, when I think of ancestry, uh, first, just as a caveat, I mean, I am, I'm a white girl from the Midwest, so my, my family, my ancestors, you know, immediate human ancestors came over to this country in varying waves, mostly, uh, as far as I know, during the um, 1800s. We don't really have much of a connection anymore to the various countries in Europe where my, my ancestors came from. And so I don't have, for example, a very strong self-identity as being, for example, German or Czech. Um, and a lot of times when people in, in paganism and elsewhere talk about, you know, working with their ancestors, they're thinking of, of, of you know, looking back to whatever, you know, heritage they have in that regard, you know, especially the, the, the pre-Christian traditions. Of those of those countries, wherever that country may be, whether whether it's countries in, you know, Europe or Asia or or wherever, for me the concept of ancestry is a lot more broad. I don't think of just, you know, the last several generations of humanity. I'm thinking back to when Homo sapiens first became a species. I'm thinking back to millions of years of of human evolution. I'm thinking further back to the evolution of vertebrates. I'm thinking back to when animals and fungi and plants split off in their respective kingdoms, etc. So my conception of ancestry is basically all-encompassing. Mm-hmm. When I work with, I have a, a series of animal skulls that are in my personal collection, and those are not only are they a natural history collection, uh, I consider myself an amateur naturalist, but it's also something of an ancestor altar uh, or maybe an extended family tree, if that makes sense. Yeah, I can completely but, relate with that, um, with the stones that I've worked with, which have been dated by geologists to be 1.3 to 1.7 billion years old. And mm-hmm. when you start to imagine the history of the earth and you know, how all of these elements and minerals and, and things like that were in, are in existence now and were in existence then and, and the different forms that they took and how things have evolved. I feel this greater connection to an ancestry that's very, very old and uh, is in the minerals of my bones and, you know, that, mm-hmm. that same oxidation process that can happen to, say, iron in the stone, turning it red, uh, uh, mm-hmm. the, the iron can turn to red and the similar process that happens to our blood when it hits oxygen, um, I feel this great connection to the the beyond the human world. And uh, I think mm-hmm. that's very important and links back to experience of ourselves as uh, the human ape, as, as, as a small part of a much larger web around us. Yeah, and that's that's a really, that's a really important thing for me. You know, yes, it's the tarot of bones, and bones are central because it's something that we can relate to, to a certain extent. But I also include other elements of natural history in a lot of the card art. You know, there's moss, there's artificial flowers because they're a little more durable, but they stand in for the real thing. Mm-hmm. There's, um, you know, pine cones and shells and stones and other things. 
And that's a reminder that everything exists within ecosystems. Even, you know, me here in a fairly uh, developed part of Portland, I am still within an ecosystem. It's important for me to remember that. Mm -hmm. So my conception of my place in this world and where the Terror of Bones comes into it is, again, is that reminder of being a part of a system and being responsible toward that system and also remembering that that system includes not just animals but all different types of beings and other natural phenomena and everyone is important. Yes, absolutely. So the web of life with Lupa and her Terror of Bones, can't wait to see it coming out. Uh, and your artwork can be found on uh, your website, the green, is it the green wolf? Yes, the green wolf.com. And uh, the Terror of Bones has its own website too, the Terror of Bones.com. So our listeners can check that out and um, see the visuals, which are so important to your artwork and to the tarot. And uh, we'll be looking out for that. And thank you so much for joining us, Lupa, for our uh, brave new Archetypal Tarot podcast and our look into death. Yeah, thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to the Archetypal Tarot podcast. More information on the show can be found on our show page, archetypist.com slash bones. Stay in touch with us. Find us on Twitter at the Twitter handle at Tarot Podcast or on Facebook, facebook.com slash AT Podcast. This podcast is a production of Both and Media. Our theme music is written and performed by The Lunar Group. And special thanks to our voiceover talent, Eric, Gael, Mila, Buzz, Peter, Nina, Fanchon, Dave, Mike, and Tabby. Until next time.